Revelation chapter 19. We're on the sunny side of the book now. It's going to get good. We're there, chapter 19. Really looking forward to the last couple of chapters as well. It's been a very dark, dark time for chapters 17 and 18 especially. Other things we read, but it just seemed to really come down to home there. Very dark, dealing with the mother of harlots and, and the, the things that have extended from this place and affected the earth and caused so much trouble to the people of God. Amen. Chapter 17, identified for the churches of Jesus Christ, who the mother of harlots is. And this, this mother of harlots was called that great city in Babylon. It tells the churches that the mother of harlots was born along, carried along, in the, I believe in the New Testament era, by a royal line of religious men, I think particularly the popes. Tales of her connections to a political force, the Ten King Confederation of the Last Days, of her blood guiltiness before God for the murders of the saints, and where this great city is located in the earth, and the judgment she shall suffer in the end. Hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. Chapter 18 describes, and I'm going to give, uh, briefly give a a summary of that last chapter we studied, but it describes the condition of this place when she's judged, the suddenness, the lamentations, and the finality of her judgment. Briefly, this chapter tells us that John saw another angel come down from heaven having great power, which illuminated the earth with his glory. The brightness of this light appears to shine upon the earth, disclosing the darkness of this city and its influence upon the earth. And of course, we know this city. I believe it's quite correct to say that this is with reference to the city of Rome, or properly Vatican City. And this place has reached a full mark of sin for judgment. Describing the darkness of this city, it is written that it has become a habitation of devils. The hold of every foul spirit. A cage of every unclean and hateful bird. And it's not difficult to actually understand this quite literally. And we took you through that in those things. And because God is about to render his judgments upon this place... You'll remember the Lord then, the Lord Jesus commanded his people to come out of her. And the purpose for coming out, that you be not partakers of her sins. And I believe that means the judgment that's going to come upon her for her sins. And that you receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. In one day there shall come death, mourning, and famine. And she shall be utterly burned with fire. In one hour, 
This great city is turned into a vast wasteland. And it shall never be found again on the earth. Praise God. And it was to this place that it is attributed the shedding of the blood of the prophets and saints and of all of them that were slain on the earth. Not just Christians suffered under the policies that came out of this place. No. Many in the earth did. So chapter 19 begins with the martyred saints. Begins with the martyred saints. And there's going to be a development of the praises of God in glory. But it begins with them. It begins with the martyred saints glorying, rejoicing over God's avenging their blood on this city. And it will move into that. As best we can, let's begin reading at verse 1. And after these things, after the things that we've considered in chapters 17 and 18, concerning the, the whole episode of the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth, a great city called otherwise Babylon. I heard a great voice. I want you to notice the word much, people. At the moment, not everyone in glory breaks out in this praise. It develops in glory. I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia. You see the Al? The English uh, pronunciation, Hallelujah, not in the Bible at all. Alleluia is only in the New Testament, these times in Revelation. But we, uh, the, the term hallelujah is a transliteration of this word. If you were reading the Greek, it's exactly what you say. Hallelujah. It has a breathing mark on it. And it's an imperative or evocative, perhaps, you say. And in the Old Testament, this term in the Hebrew, guess how you say it? Hallelujah. And it's translated how? Praise ye the Lord. That's what it means. Many times in the Old Testament. And so there was a voice of much people in heaven saying, Praise ye the Lord. Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Salvation, a whole sum of it. From beginning to end, and everything in between, all of this, to the Lord. Why? Verse 2. Why did they say this? Because, for, true and righteous are his judgments. For he has judged the great whore. The judgment of the Lord against this city was in no way an improper judgment of the Lord. It was a true and righteous judgment that came from him. It was right. He gave to this place what they deserved. And those in it, a double judgment, a judgment too full more, which they well deserved. The scriptures in Psalm 19, verse 9, say the fear of the Lord is clean, 
enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Amen. In other words, we know for, for a fact there's nothing wrong with the Lord's judgments. Even the judgments that befall the saints of God is totally right. It's just and true. Again, in Psalm 145, verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all. Not some, but all his ways. And holy in all his works. So they said it was a true and righteous judgment of God to judge the whore which did corrupt. That is, it defiled, it marred, it destroyed the earth with her fornication. This is, this is a really parallel to the state of the earth before the flood. Those in that day had thoroughly marred it and defiled it and destroyed the way of God in the earth. And here we are at the end, if you will, of all of this. The end of this kingdom. And it's in, in a, I think it's even in a worse state than it was then. It's true, his judgments are righteous and true to judge the whore in the way that he has which is to corrupt the earth in her fornication, with her fornication, and he has avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they say, Alleluia. We had the martyrs first. And again they said, Alleluia. And her smoke rose up forever. And the next group to praise the Lord is a very... Certain group. It's not everyone in glory at the moment. First the martyrs. And now there are these. And the four and twenty elders. And the four beasts. These four unusual living creatures that we read about in chapter 4 and 5. Now we have them brought back to us. And we can be reminded of something concerning them. The four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God. That sat on the throne saying, Amen. In other words, they were agreeing with the ones that had just praised the Lord. And now they say the same. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord. So the, the praises to God over the judgments of the great Lord by God has, has begun to spread through the ranks of glory to increase the praises to be given to the Lord for what He's done to judge His place and those related to it. The 24 elders... And the four beasts join with them, saying, praise the Lord. And if we stopped for a little bit and considered, remembered what these two represent, we could begin to understand better. Maybe some of the differences in the people. There is a, a tremendous and probably the highest honors will be given to those that have been martyred for Christ's sake. They're the chiefest of the servants. And we don't think much about that, but there's been so much of the blood of the saints poured out in history, particularly during the time when this mother of harlots existed during the New Testament era. A lot of blood flowed. A lot of blood flowed. And for things that you would think were so insignificant, just taking a stand on what baptism means. They poured their blood, poured, poured out. The churches of Jesus Christ, having neither been, never been, Catholic or Protestant, died because they took a stand, a biblical stand on what it meant 
to be baptized by one of those of the Lord's churches. And I'll tell you what I think. You're tempted not to emphasize some of these things. You're tempted to let loose the standard because maybe you don't understand everything about it. And we we lose sight of it. But don't give it up. Don't give up a single truth of the word of God. I was reading. It was necessary for me to read and consider some things about a religious group. And I wonder, how in the world does this work? I read the statement of faith. And so much of it, they said, well, you know, because the scriptures are silent. Silent? They're not silent. They've chosen to turn a blind eye to the truth of the word of God. glaring in there. That's not the nature of the true churches of Christ. They appreciate every word of God. They maintain the truths of the word of God. And they help spread the word of God in the earth as it is properly written. And we English-speaking people will not give up ground on the King James Version Bible being the scriptures. There's no contesting that in my book. And I hope it's not any in yours. It's the word of God. All of the others are at best commentaries. I stand by that statement. These four and twenty elders, though, when we were there in chapter five, you remember, they stood as representative. They really were there, but they stand representative of the priesthood of the believer. I'm absolutely persuaded of that. We laid it out for you then in our studies, but I want to read you this. In chapter five, verse eight, and we'll read through verse 10. And while I have an opinion about the four beasts, it's all right. I think they actually refer to some Old Testament faithful service there. And so we see that the, and the purpose for this is we saw the, there were many, and I believe we referred to the martyrs whose blood was shed for Christ's cause. They began with the praises to the Lord. And now we see these break out and praise the Lord. And I believe they are a representative of the, those faithful of the churches of Jesus Christ. The priesthood of the believer. Here in chapter 5 verse 8. And when he had taken the book. The four, and the, the, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders. Fell down before the lamb. Having every one of them harps and golden vials of, full of odors. Which are the prayers of the saints. And they. Notice that. And they sung a new song. Saying thou art worthy to take the book. And to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us. Us who? The 24 elders and the living creatures. Those four. They are the redeemed. They stand representative of others before the throne of God. You have redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. See, they were related to us. And and has done something to us. This peculiar group. And has made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Wow. And so the next praises in glory breaks out among the saints of God that had a church relationship. Interesting. The faithful saints of God. And, and faithful Old Testament saints as well. Now, in a voice, verse 5, and a voice. 
a voice. We want you to know ahead of time, verse 10, is not the Lord Jesus of some heir to say, but it's a voice of a fellow servant. We don't know who it is, but it's a fellow servant with John. A voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God. And we sing this. All ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, many people. Not everyone again, but a, a great number of people. As the voice of many waters, and as the voice of, of mighty thundering, saying, what? Hallelujah! Praise ye the Lord. And so the saints of God, church-related, and the Old Testament faithful, I think, will just break out after the martyrs and give thanks to the Lord. Why? Why? For. You see the word? For. For the Lord God omnipotent, the almighty, the all-powerful God reigns. Now, isn't that amazing? You know, you and churches like us believe in the doctrine of grace. We believe in election for both, before the foundation of the world. We believe that God is sovereign. He knows all things, uh, the, the end from the beginning. He knows all things. There's not anything that he doesn't know. And it's sad to say that this, this terrible error, error, heresy, Arminianism, Pelagianism, the worst part of it, Arminianism, is in so many of the churches of Jesus Christ. They've given it up. But then, I'll tell you what will happen. Everyone that comes to this place is going to finally see God was sovereign in the work of salvation. He was, he was sovereign from the beginning to the end and in everything in between to save us. Praise the Lord. They said that. Praise the Lord because he's the omnipotent, the almighty. He reigns. You know, all these differences, and some of them are, are small, but I'm persuaded all of the differences that there are now will be gone. And some of these differences are good. They try our faith and they try our love for one another. We need this sometimes. We need to be contended with from time to time to show our love for one another. How it would be if no one ever came to me and contested with me and let me go without saying a word. I'll tell you, I'd be in an awful sad state. But praise God, someone had the grace to come up and say, look, Brother, you're going down the wrong way. Things aren't working right for you. You need to turn around. You need to repent. Praise God for the faithful brothers and sisters that have done that to me in my life. And I'll tell you what, in younger years, I really, really needed it. I needed that. He goes on. They do. Verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice. Amen. Thank you. Give honor to him. The whole purpose for our lives, honor Christ. We're so stuck on ourselves sometimes, we just can't see it. We're here to, to live for the honor and glory of God. Let us be glad and rejoice and give glory to him. For, because, there you go again, for, here we have a reason. Oh, brethren, are we ready for this? For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready. She has prepared herself. Now this is going to be brief. Necessarily so because 
it's in a realm that I haven't thought much about. We talk some about it, but really to sit down and read about it. So I'll throw you some brief remarks, and I hope they're a help. Considering the marriage of the Lamb, I need to point out that there's, first of all, a bridegroom, which is Christ. Christ the Lord. Turn in John chapter 3, verse 29. In this, Christ is the bridegroom. John is the friend of the bridegroom. So let's set this first. Christ is the bridegroom. He's the one who's going to marry this, this woman called his wife. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which stands and hears him, that is the bridegroom, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. And there's a place into which come those that are called to be special celebrants of this wedding feast. And that place is called the bride chamber. Turn to Matthew 9, verses 14 and 15. You'll see the word bride chamber. Then came to the Lord Jesus, the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast oft, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, Can the... Here you go. Children of the bride chamber. Who's he talking to about? Who's he referring to at this time? Is it not his church? It is. Can the children of the bride chamber mourn those that have been put into this special place? Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, from the children of the bride chamber, and then they shall fast. These specially invited children of the bride chamber are those that are espoused. That means joined in a wedded relationship. Those invited children of the bride chamber, those espoused, promised, betrothed to Christ. In the New Testament, these children are, are of the churches of Jesus Christ, the baptized, believing, church-related, church-related disciples of Jesus Christ. I hope you memorize that statement. It's a good way to just sum up who you are. They never underestimate the relationship and blessing that comes with being identified with the true churches of Christ. It's a special espousal. It is to be joined to Christ in a way that others that are not in this place are not. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2. Talking about an espousal. Here it is. I am jealous. Paul writing to the Corinthian church. I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. 
For I have espoused you. I have joined you. And obviously, by the grace of God, the preaching of the gospel, and the things that were working, he showed them to unite together with fellow baptized believers and come together around Christ to keep his commandments. I have espoused you to one husband. So there is one, Christ. That they may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. What is that? In prospect of the wedding feast ahead. And I think that's actually what Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. When it talks about being sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's beyond regeneration. That's what takes place at regeneration. This is something that comes to you after you've come into the relationship in, uh, with the Lord in his New Testament church. And espousal. You're sealed. By the Holy Spirit of promise. I've thought that for years. And it's so hard for some to see this. They keep going back to basic things. No, we've moved past the, the moment of salvation. To some special espousal of the children of God. With the church. With Christ in the church. In the last chapter of Revelation. Verse 17. You'll see it's, it's the church again. This one that's carrying the message. The Spirit. And who? The Bride. Say, come. And it goes on. The Bride says, come. This is the, the one and only body in the earth that may say, come. No other organizations. It's the church's duty to preach Christ and give forth the doctrines of his word. But I do want to point out something here. As we consider the wedding feast, the marriage of the Lamb, he says it's come. And that is that Israel has been also like we are waiting for the day of this marriage feast, wedding feast. I want to ask you to turn to Isaiah chapter 62. We're going to read through, from verse 1 through verse 5. There are things that pertain to Israel that people wipe out and apply to the church. And it's simply not right. Keep both in their proper places. And this concerns Zion, the city of God. And it refers to Israel and their capital city, Jerusalem, Zion. There, uh, I think it's a, a, the most elevated place in the city. But Israel's waiting for that same day. In Isaiah chapter 62, verse 1, For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake, reiterating the point, I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burns. And the Gentiles shall see thy Zion, thy righteousness in all kings, thy glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Thou, what? Zion. Shall no more be termed forsaken. Shall, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate. 
desolate. But thou, Zion, shalt be called Hephzibah. And he'll explain what that means. It's just more. Hephzibah and thy land, Beulah. For the Lord delights. That's Hephzibah. The Lord delights in the Ozion, he says. And thy land shall be Beulah, married. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons of Zion, he's talking about, marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. This concerns the nation of Israel. The churches, the faithful of those of that number, you're not everyone in the churches of Jesus Christ are faithful. It's not enough to have your name on a roll. It's not, a ha- not even enough to, to have a bodily presence. It's not enough to qualify as faithful. You would obey the Lord's commandments. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about a special presence, uh, a, a special standing in the presence of the Lord with Jesus Christ where so many have failed. The churches of Christ, the faithful of their number and the faithful of Israel's past, Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Ezekiel and Daniel and Job and on and on and on. Samson and Jephthah, all of those are included in that number. The regenerate of the nation in the future to be included of Israel shall be brought together into the marriage supper of the Lamb with the saints of God in the churches. Let me just explain that. A little bit more. There was a time when the Lord put out to national Israel. Through means of the service of God. Referring to the Old Testament prophets. Then invitation for the coming wedding feast. This was when the Messiah would present himself to the nation of Israel. As a husband would present himself to his wife or his bride. Isaiah chapter 54 verses 1 through 10. We must read some of these, and, and I hope it's a blessing to you. Chapter 54, verses 1 through 10, concerning the nation of Israel. Seeing, O barren, thou that didst not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou, didst, uh, thou that didst not travail with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the of the married wife, saith the Lord, enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitation. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes, for thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles, and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, Neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame. For thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more. For thy maker is thy husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. The God of the whole earth shall he uh, be called. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit and a wife of youth when thou wast refused, saith thy God, for a small moment. Everything has been going on. Just a small moment. We think so long. I know Israel is the same way. So long. 
For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather you. In a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord, thy Redeemer. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me. I'm just cleaning the slate. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should go no more over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee nor rebuke thee. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord, that hath mercy on thee. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 20. Surely as a wife treacherously departs from her husband, so have you dealt treacherously with me. O house of Israel, saith the Lord. Turn to Hosea chapter 2. You will see Daniel, and the next book will be Hosea. Easy enough to find Daniel, so you're, you know you're in the right place then. You're close by. Hosea chapter 2. I want to read verses 13 to 23. I will visit upon her the days of Balaam. They were the nation of Israel serving the gods of Baal, plural. I will visit upon her, Israel, the days of Balaam, wherein she burned incense to them. And she decked herself with her earrings and her jewels, and she went after her lovers and forget me, saith the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her in spite of that. I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. And I will give her her vineyards from thence and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up out to the land of Egypt. It's going to come in a day of great rejoicing. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishai, my husband. And thou shalt call me no more Baalai, Lord. A special close relationship Israel will have. For I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth. And they shall no more be remembered by their name. And in that day will I make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field. We're talking about the millennium. And with the fowls of heaven, with the creeping things of the ground. And I will break the bow with, and the sword and the battle out of the earth. And will, I will make them to lie down safely. They're not lying down safely, they are they. And if we're referring to the nation of Israel, oh, they're in a, in a, a state of war at this very moment. One day it won't be that way. He says that I will betroth thee unto me forever. That's never going to happen again by the time I'm done with you. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness. And thou shalt know the Lord. It's coming. They're going to know the Lord. They'll be saved. And it shall come to pass in that day I will hear, saith the Lord. I will hear the heavens. And they shall hear the earth. The curse is going to be removed from the earth. And the earth shall hear the corn and the wine and the oil. And they shall hear Jezreel. I think it was a place of a lot of warfare. And it's gone. It's stopped. It's settled. And I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy on her that had not obtained mercy. 
And I will say to them which were not my people, thou art my people. And they shall say, thou art my God. Oh, praise the Lord. We know that Israel rejected her husband. That is, the nation has. Rejected Christ in his first coming. No question about it. And she was set aside. And the wedding feast has been postponed. It does happen, doesn't it, sometimes? Postponement weddings. The wedding feast for them has been postponed to a later time. But in the meantime, the servants of God, that's you and I, continue to put the invitation out to others with an emphasis there for the Gentiles to prepare themselves for the coming marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's shown in this parable. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. This one best expressed it. Uh, Matthew chapter 22 says similar things. It goes a little further than I, I care to. Uh, with the point we have. The parable of the wedding feast. I want you to see Luke chapter 14, verse 15. And one of them that sat at meat with him, when he uh, heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, that, uh, that is our Lord Jesus answered him, A certain man made a great supper, and bade many, and sent a servant at supper time late, late in the hour of the nation of Israel, to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. And it's in the parable, it's referred to the, Lord, uh, to the, the nation of Israel. Then, then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets. And lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor, and the maimed, and the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it's done. So even those of the nation heard, heard of this invitation, and it did come along the way. And yet there's room. And that opens the door for us among the Gentiles, as I understand it. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. This is a special, special time for the faithful of the Lord of Israel, the Lord's faithful of Israel, and the churches of Jesus Christ, the faithful in her. So they were, to, they were invited the time of the wedding feast of the Lamb has come. Now, I'll tell you right now, I don't know where that will be, but it seems like in the order of things that perhaps this is something that takes place off to the side while the, the earth is being judged, that he takes them aside. 
They've been brought to him in the resurrection and for the moment while all of the wrath of Almighty God is being poured out. They have the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then it leads to what we will be reading here in a moment where, they, where the Lord Jesus comes and his armies with him. It says about this marriage feast and the, the wife in particular has made herself ready. And to her, in verse 8, to her, the lamb's wife, was granted that, in order that, she should be arrayed, clothed, apparelled in fine linen, clean and white for. Why this? Why these garments? Because the fine linen is, it represents the righteousness of saints. It's not that they've just been, by Christ's blood, given a righteous standing. But these are they that actually walked righteously in the earth before the Lord. They're dressed so in these garments to show their righteousness. Not everyone in glory had the, was dressed like this. And I'll, I'll show you something else. Not everyone in glory is going to be involved in what we're going to read about in just a moment. If we pay attention to wording, I'll just spill the beans. You remember I've taught this. I believe it's true. Not everyone that knows the Lord, and, and, and even in the churches of Jesus, not everyone's going to be resurrected in the first resurrection. That's a special privilege to the faithful. Are we ready? And they will be glorified and come with Christ. Unfaithful, pass by that. And to the end, they will be raised in the last resurrection. Well, let's follow this through. Verse 9, and he, he. Now, that's the one in verse 5. Whose voice came out from the throne of God. We don't know who it is, but we do know by verse 10 that it's, it's a fellow servant with John. And of us as well, as of the brethren. And he saith unto me, write. Here's the imperative. Do this, Write. Blessed are they which are called, that is, they have been called, unto the marriage supper or feast of the Lamb. Blessed they are. And he, the same one, saith unto me, these are the true sayings, the true words of God. And I fell at his feet, John did, to worship him. And he said to me, see thou do it not. Look, take heed. Thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. His witness. He says, worship God, commanding. Why? The reason is not to worship, to fall down to me in that way. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Look, we're just bearing witness of Jesus the servant is not the same as the master. There is a difference between those that witness Christ and Christ himself. Verse 11, I saw, I, John, saw heaven opened. And behold, you had the, the, the marriage feast of the Lamb was discussed. And now we come to the place where Christ descends. 
I saw in heaven and behold a white horse and he that sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. First of all, this is not related to, as we read this, to the things written in Revelation chapter 6 that concerned the loosing of the first seal. Remember that? Talked about a white horseman. It's not him. Some go so far as to say that's Christ. Such a lack of discernment. That's not it. Second, while the Lord Jesus' first coming was in peace, that's not going to be so in his second coming. He comes to make war. He will not come as he did the first time, meek and lowly, riding upon the foal of an ass. He's coming with power and great glory. Matthew 24, verse 30, see it. Matthew, the apocalyptic portion of Matthew. Matthew chapter 24, verse 30. You know, when somebody says Matthew 24, you, you, you should know, oh, we're going we're gonna to eschatological. If, you, if somebody mentions Matthew 13, or Mark 13, you know, or Luke 21 or 17, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Learn the scriptures. Become familiar with them. And here we have the Lord coming with power and glory. Same time. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. Literally. With power and great glory. And what is he doing? He's coming to overthrow the kingdoms of this world. Once for all. He will then set up his kingdom. And there's not going to be any other kingdom but his. Never another kingdom to succeed his. Daniel 2.44 says, His kingdom shall not be left to other people. But concerning the second coming, Ezekiel 15, Exodus 15.3, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Look at Daniel chapter 2, verses 44 to 40 and 45. See that. What takes place when Christ comes? And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. Talk about Christ himself, Jesus, which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it shall stand forever for as much. Seeing as you saw that the stone, the Lord Jesus, was cut out of the mountain, referring to his own kingdom, without hands. It's not something that men do. This is a work of God. And that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain and the interpretation thereof is sure. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 4. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor. And reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. And we're going to read this. And with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. One more. Isaiah uh, chapter 42 verse 13. We shared this yesterday. So broken for the nation of Israel. For the things they have to suffer at this time. 
but it's, it's going to be brought to a stop. The Lord shall go forth. Chapter 42, verse 13 in Isaiah. The Lord shall go forth as a mighty man. He shall stir up jealousy like a man of war. He shall cry, yea, war. He shall prevail against his enemies. He says, I have long hold in my peace. I have been still and refrained myself. That's the only reason that it has not come to pass yet with Israel. I've refrained myself. Now will I cry like a travailing woman, and I will destroy and devour at once. I will make waste mountains and hills, and dry up all the herbs, and I will make the rivers islands, and I will dry up the pools. There's going to be some big changes take place when the Lord comes. Going back to the description of this one riding upon this white horse, our Lord Jesus, in his descent to the earth, it says his eyes were as a flame of fire. We've seen this description a couple more times in the Revelation. As a flame of fire, trying and examining and proving these things. And on his head, we see, were many crowns. And we've read this a number of times along the way concerning the mother of harlots and the beast and um, uh, the horns and such. Uh, how the crowns refer to uh, leaders or, or uh, chiefs in them, like the, the seven beasts had seven crowns, and they are explained as this. Or the, the, uh, this uh, particular uh, vision had the, the ten horns, and, and oh, they had crowns, and it, it represented kings in them. Well, guess what? Christ stands and represents many kings that are in him. I think it's behind the fact he has many crowns. On his head. There are in Christ many kings. Well, let's just look at a couple of these. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 6. 1, verse 6. Is it true? It sure is. And referring to Christ, he has made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 5 10. The one that has redeemed us to God by his blood, what? Has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. So, you have this one, his eyes were as a flame of fire. In on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew. They, they couldn't understand it except he, but he himself. And he was clothed, this one was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The Word of God is what? It's, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that? Well, let's take a look at a couple of these. There's so much denial of the truths of the Word of God, we cannot take these for granted. Land on it. The Word is the Lord Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, the person described and what he, what he can do. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, Christ's sight, but all things are naked and opened unto him, uh, the eyes of him with whom we have to do. We must read John chapter 1. Beginning at verse 1, there's no question about who the Word of God is. In the beginning was the Word, 
And the word was with God. And the word was God. The co-persons in the Godhead. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14. And the word was made flesh. That's Christ the Lord. Dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It wasn't, this one isn't a brother to Satan. No. He wasn't a man that, through his own personal righteousness, came to be God. And so we could do the same thing. That's not at all the truth. He's the creator of all things. The word of God is coexistent with God. And of the same substance. Hebrews 1.3 who being the brightness of his glory, the glory of the Father, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. This is God. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so what is this one doing? In verse 14, and the armies, translated in places, men of war, soldiers, plural. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon, what? Like him, white horses clothed in, what? What? They're clothed like the ones we read earlier. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean. So the armies, the men of war, that are with the Lord at this time, which were in heaven, and followed the word of God upon white horses, are the same as those that constitute the bride of Christ. See that? Verse 8. Bride of Christ. You see a peculiar people? Not everyone, but these are peculiar to the Lord. These armies, this is who, who constitutes the armies that come with Christ. They're dressed in those same garments. Of fine linen, clean and white. You see it? Verse 8. To her was granted that she should be arrayed, the wife, in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Well, then turn to Jude, verses 14 and 15, and see what it says of this same coming. You know, we have a reference to Enoch, and it does seem that there may be some other extra-biblical writings that are out there uh, that does not authenticate those as being the Word of God. So be careful. Um, whatever there is about that, but we know this must be true because it's written here in Jude. Verse 14, And Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, these, these wicked false teachers, the unbelieving, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. To execute judgment on all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Christ is coming with many, many, a large group of people. And, and it says this, and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it or by it he should smite the nations. That what he does what he executes upon the earth is going to be according to the word of God. Everything you've ever read about in the scriptures about this moment is going to come to pass. 
And when it comes that with it, with this sword, with it, he should smite the nations, all of the Gentile kingdoms, the ethnos, and he shall rule them. So he's going to take out the ruling factor, first of all, among the Gentiles, and what's left after he's done with some things, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. It's, again, it's hard to imagine that people survive through all of this, but there are some that will. Christ that is coming will smite the Gentile powers of the earth so that the Gentiles will remain during the time of the millennial kingdom. They shall be under the absolute monarchy of Jesus Christ. It says that he rules with a rod of iron. That is to say that Christ shall destroy the powers and subdue his people. Turn to Matthew chapter 25, and we want to begin at verse 31. We consider, it might be stretching it out just a little bit. I'm going to move just a little bit here into uh, Christ's coming. He will subject the nations that are remaining in the earth. He takes away their kings and such, their princes and rulers, and those remain will be dealt with. There will be a sifting of sorts of them that know Christ and them that do not. There's going to be a sifting in that day. We call it a judgment. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. Where? On this earth? Where? On this earth? And before him shall be gathered all what? Nations? Meaning Gentiles that are remaining. And he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. He's going to separate the elect of the Gentiles that are there when he comes, that are not with him when he comes in his armies. There are, they are there. And he's going to separate them. The elect will be on one side and the reprobate on the other. He'll gather all nations and separate them from one another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand but the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. And it's, when you think about it, in their natural bodies, they're going to go into the kingdom like that. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But, but what of the other? Verse 41. What of the goats, them that had no faith in Christ, the ungodly wicked, that you contend with day after day after day. Then shall he say also to them on the left. Depart from me you cursed. In the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I want you to turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Begin reading at verse 6. Concerning the coming of the Lord again. Breaking into this seeing. It is a righteous thing with God. To recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. These are the Christless he's referring to. And to you who are troubled, what God will recompense to you, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall, they shall, be punished with everlasting destruction. How long? Everlasting destruction. 
from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. More, he says, of this one, and he treads the winepress of the fierceness of and wrath of Almighty God. We've touched on this before, but it's a reference to when Christ comes. I think the, among the first things that he does, he's going to take care of the kings of the earth, the wicked rulers and such, and have all gathered themselves in the valley of Megiddo, and he'll take care of them. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 63, verse 3. He treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. By his own power, he didn't. We might be coming with him, but he doesn't need us to do this. He can do this. And here it says alone. He says, I have trodden the winepress alone. And the people, there was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury. And their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments. And I will stain all of my raiment. For the day of vengeance is in mine heart. And the year of my redeemed is come. Now all of this is really with reference particularly to the nation of Israel. It could be I stand alone in that the nation of Israel is not with me. But he's coming to, to them. And I looked, and there was none to help. And I wondered that there was none to uphold among my people in this respect. Therefore, mine own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury upheld me. And I will tread down the people in mine anger, and make them drunk in my fury. And I'll bring them down, bring down their strength to the earth. And we, get, we read this in Revelation chapter 14, verse 20. Same episode, the wine press was trodden outside the city, out of Jerusalem. And the blood came out of the winepress, even to the horses' bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Look at chapter 16. Let's fill in some more of this battle. And, and it's really not much of a battle. The Lord takes care of business. And in Revelation chapter 16, we kind of get an, an inside look at what's going on in the minds of the, of the kings of the earth as they come to this valley of Megiddo, Armageddon. Uh, chapter 16, verse 13. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon. That's Satan. And out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They're so agreed in this matter. They're, they're convincing the men of the earth to come to this place. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles in a powerful way. Which go forth to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of all God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments, lest he be naked, walk naked, and they see his shame. And he gathered them, these kings of the earth, together into a place called in a Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. So there's a lot that takes place when Christ comes. But among them, he's going to come down and take care of this matter and then move out and judge the nations of the people that are remaining and the bride with him. Verse 16, continuing on in this description of this one. He hath on his vesture, a vest of sorts, and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, 
to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. Just this valley there. Get, come there. Watch for it. If we're here, watch for it. Why? That you may eat of the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 39. Begin reading at verse 17. This is interesting because uh, as I saw it, Previous to this, and I mentioned this last time, it looks to me like there's the battle of Gog and Magog. And then you come to the battle at Armageddon, at the Valley of Megiddo, and then you come to a regathered Israel. These things are just amazing when you see it. But now concerning Armageddon, at verse 17, Ezekiel chapter 39, And thou, son of man, thus saith the Lord God, speak unto every feathered fowl and to every beast of the field, assemble yourselves and come, gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice that I do sacrifice for you, even a great sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel, that ye may eat flesh and drink blood. Ye shall eat the flesh of the mighty, and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, and of lambs, and of goats, and bullocks, and all the fatlings, fatlings of Bashan. And ye shall eat fat till ye be full, and drink blood till ye be drunken of my sacrifice, which I have sacrificed for you. Thus ye shall be filled at my table, referring to that valley, with horses and chariots, with mighty men, and with all men of war, saith the Lord God. And I will set my glory up among the heathen, and all the heathen shall see my judgment that I have executed, and my hand that I have laid upon them. Oh, what a day that will be. And then it's verse 19. I saw the beast, John did, and the kings of the earth, and their armies, gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Uh, evidently, no more descriptions necessary. We just want to point out, this as if to go, I just want to make sure you understand that all that this wicked Antichrist has done and this false prophet, where they've ended up. The beast was taken, the Antichrist, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him. And, which, and with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both, the Antichrist and his false prophet, these both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. They bypassed hell altogether. And com- the first two that come to this terrible place, this lake, the Lord has out there already. It's simply waiting for that time, burning with fire and brimstone, and they're going to be the first two to come there. He will take care of them. Turn to 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 5. We have another instance that describes this in a very brief way. Follow with me. You know this text. It's a beautiful text of 
a text I, with all the hard things. It's still a text that just I love to read, and, and we anticipate what? The coming of Christ and what's going to take place. Paul says in verse 5, we're going to break into this. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. Now, what things? That before Christ's coming, before the day of Christ's coming, there was going to be a falling away first, a great forsaking. Oh, brethren, we're seeing it everywhere. The people of God are forsaking. Even the, the people of the earth are forsaking to some greater extent where they, they want to get rid of every semblance of God in the earth as it is revealed in the scriptures. There was going, Christ was coming and there was going to be a falling away first. After this, Great forsaking, then, then the man of sins shall be revealed. Verses 2 and 3 of that chapter. But verse 6, and now you know what withholds that he might be revealed in his time. So now you Thessalonian brethren and every church-related baptized disciple of Jesus Christ know why Christ's day has not come yet. Verse 6, the Antichrist must have his Time. Again, verse 6, it says that. And once this man of sin has revealed himself for all that he is, that's what verse 8 means, then Christ shall come and consume him with the spirit of his mouth. It's what we're reading about here in our text of Revelation. And with the brightness of his coming, Christ will destroy the man and all that he has done to an end. So we read verse 7 in that text. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now lets will let. That is to say, that is this event that is staying, the coming of the day of Christ, will do that. It will stay that until he be taken out of the way, the one that was to come, the Antichrist. And then shall that wicked be revealed. And the idea is for who he is. Oh, he's going to have so many people just... They follow hook, line, and sinker. And then, and even the people of God. And then they'll go, at, at this moment, they'll go, whoa, that's, that's him. Yeah. You see, there's a revealing, and then there's a revealing for who he really is. Then shall the, be, the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So come back to verse 21. And the remnant, the rest, the others, the others of the kings and armies gathered in the valley beside the man of sin and his prophet were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So what? This concludes the existence, the existence of the fourth and final kingdom of the Gentiles, with its ten king confederation, headed by the Antichrist and led along with the deceptions of the false prophet. It brings the end to what we call, in Luke 21, verse 24, the times of the Gentiles. It's done. Yeah. Done. Praise God. The earth is never going to be subjected to a government of men that are of the basest sort. It's done. I know you grieve over this the leaders of the country, the world over. You, your jaw drops and it's just, it's, whoa. 
Oh, these are leading the nations of people to a terrible end. But Satan, we're going to read it. We come to it. Satan will be bound up. He's going to be removed as the prince and power of the air. The earth will not be under his dark dominion for a thousand years. Israel and the churches of Jesus Christ, two distinct entities with special functions to render during the millennial kingdom shall have the preeminence over the earth with Christ the Lord. Israel shall be the greatest nation on the earth in that day. And the saints of God of the churches ruling and reigning with him. I want to read you this because uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 1. I want to read this because people read it as you see they never did it. Israel never came to this place. Ah, not yet. But when they do, this will be a matter of fact. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 1 and 13. It shall come to pass. If thou shalt hearken diligently, O nation, unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. Matter of fact, it's going to happen. Verse 13. And the Lord shall make you the head and not the tail. And thou shalt be above only. You're the only one, the greatest in all the earth of the nations. And thou shalt not be beneath if thou, if thou, if that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I commanded this day, observe and to do them. And he goes on. One day they will. We now come to probably one of the most hotly contested eschatological texts of Scripture in Christendom. The Millennial Kingdom. 